Hi, welcome to the Generation Nerd Podcast, where we talk about all things nerd. My name is Aiden, and I'll be your host as we explore the wild and wacky world of nerd. Today we will be discussing She-Hulk, Rings of Power, and all the new D23 releases, including Werewolf by Night, uh, Thunderbolts, and so much more. I'm so excited to talk to you all today, and let's dive in. So first I wanted to talk about She-Hulk. In episode 3, She-Hulk goes up against the parole board to try and get Abomination a parole. She actually gets an idea from Dennis, her old uh, assistant district attorney partner, um, when he actually gets in a little financial trouble, not financial, but uh, legal trouble later on in the episode, which I will talk about. But she goes and she actually gets Wong to testify in front of the court, which actually ends up working, but it proves that Wong uh, broke the law, so Wong has to, like, no batter there. But one thing I found interesting was Wong was lying in this. He didn't bring Abomination to get him to satisfy some challenge to become Sorcerer Supreme, because Wong was already Sorcerer Supreme. At the time of Shang-Chi, the blip had already happened. All that had already happened. So he would have already been Sorcerer Supreme. We learned in uh, Doctor Strange and in uh, Spider-Man that Wong got Sorcerer Supreme on a technicality. It should have gone to Steven, but Steven was blipped. He was gone. He wasn't there anymore. So it went to Wong. So I think that might be one of the reasons why he's lying, because he was already Sorcerer Supreme at at this time. So I'm thinking that something is up with Wong. We know he is not on the Thunderbolts like I had previously theorized, but we will definitely uh, talk about that later, now that we have the actual Thunderbolts lineups. Now on to Dennis and Luna. So Dennis, her old district attorney partner, or assistant district attorney partner, who is kind of very full of himself, uh, basically starts dating this wood elf from New Asgard, who he thought was Megan the Stallion, the famous rapper, uh, because she was a shapeshifter, and she scammed him out of thousands of dollars. And Pug, one of uh, Jennifer Walter's new partners, asks her if uh, she can testify in front of the court to get him to agree, or to get them to agree to uh, allowing Pug to get money back. Or not Pug, but Dennis to get the money back. So they eventually win, but Dennis actually gives Walters an idea. So Dennis says, I wish there was a way that we could take away her power so she couldn't do that to someone else again. And that gives her an idea, because she remembers how her cousin, Bruce, in the first episode, had showed her how he had an inhibitor on, which I talked about, and I won't get into that now. But this inhibitor could be the key to getting Abomination his parole. So he, she suggests that Abomination has to wear a inhibitor so he can't transform into Abomination. So we'll see if that actually plays through, but he's definitely going to have to wear that, and I'm excited to see that. Um, but then he eventually gets the parole, and which is huge for celebration. But there's also a lot of flack being thrown at She-Hulk, like there's like a bunch of like conspiracy theories and people being like, "Oh my gosh, she's evil. She's going against the Avengers and all this." Some people said that she even rejected. She was rejected from the Avengers, which is clearly just not true because the Avengers do not exist right now. They don't exist ever, um, like at this point in time. So we'll definitely see if this something plays out with that. So in episode four, she goes against Donnie Blaze in the court of law. Donnie Blaze is a magician that got kicked out of Comartage after one week, and for doing bad stuff with his magic, and so Wong really dislikes this guy, and, but Donnie Blaze has been putting on these shows that he is teleporting people away to different, like, 
universes, like far off places, and just like stranding them there. And he uh, throws this one character that ends up being uh, really funny, Madison, with a Y, but it's not where you think. Um, so she's really funny, and we'll probably see more of her later on in the episode, but, well, we do see her later on in the episode, but we will probably see her later on in the series, but we haven't seen her in episode five, so I'm assuming maybe in episode six, or if we see Wong again. So, Donnie Blaze, uh, I think might be related to Johnny Blaze, who is the, uh, Ghostwriter. He becomes the ghostwriter. So he basically is imbued with the spirit of vengeance. And he gets the this basically powerful motorcycle, which is fiery and he has a flaming skull for a head and he's all leather motorcycle guy-ish. Which kind of could seem like Donnie is like that. And we know that Donnie has a brother, so it'd be funny if like Donnie and Johnny. So that could be cool if we see Ghostwriter soon. But I don't know. We'll have to see. Uh, so then we also see Todd again in this episode. Uh, she, uh, he, or not again, but for the first time. Todd is one of her dates, and he's really sus. He talks about Jen like she's a specimen. He literally calls her a specimen. He, uh, so he's like, "Are you in? Are you in really invincible? Like, can nothing really pierce her skin?" And she's like, yeah, and he's like, even Vibranium? Which made me think, because in the last episode, the Wrecking Crew attacked She-Hulk, and I think that they might have been working for Todd, because they had tried to steal some of her blood, but the needle had broken. So if he's asking, how do you pierce your skin, then I'm like, are you, like... The person trying to steal She-Hulk's blood, and I think that might be something. And we, he's definitely very interesting. And that was def- a date that ended up like noping and not happening. But she went on this platform called Matcher and put herself as She-Hulk, and she went on this date with like five different guys. None of them really good. One was pretty good, but then she brings him home and uh, does some adult stuff with him, and then later. But, and then later, uh, when she wakes up, she's in she uh, she's in gen form, and he's like, nope, I'm gone. Uh, so then, yeah. And, so, the, we also see at the end of this episode, that Titania issues a court order, and the Titania is suing Jen, so she's finally out of jail, and she's suing Jen, for using She-Hulk, which apparently she had trademarked after their fight. And she is trying to fight her, which we'll see more in the next episode. Now, on to episode five. So, in it, we see Jen Walters fighting Titania in, not physically, but in the court of law. And Titania's lawyers try and use a video of her saying to a reporter, that's not my name, uh... This is who I am. And then Mallory Book, who is her uh, attorney, who is also from JLK and H, uh, represents her. And she shows a video of her talking on the news when she broadcasted on the news and kind of said, hey, I'm She-Hulk. And I, yeah, basically explained why she had gotten the name She-Hulk. So, yeah, so... Basically, the, the judge isn't quite convinced, so they postpone it. And then when Jen is walking into the law, uh, law firm one day, she runs into Mallory, but she is with Todd, who I guess is one of the, the firm's uh, big like person that goes there and gets legal advice from them. And I guess Mallory is his person, so I'm wondering if that might be another part of it, where she is a little bit interesting, because she is partnering with this kind of weird guy that doesn't seem like what she would usually do, and so 
we see that she gets the idea that, oh my gosh, I can use my dates to testify that I had used the name She-Hulk and turned, like, and used the name She-Hulk as my name. And she eventually does that in the court and she wins the case. So another on the side, uh, Gus goes with uh, uh, Jen's paralegal friend and he asks her to go wait in line for the Iron Man 3s, which we see in the post credit scene. There's also a ton of other things like Deadpool, Storm, all these other characters are not quite in the MCU yet, but I'm wondering if they are. So we will definitely see more of that later on in the episode, and we'll see that later on in the like MCU, I'm hoping at least. Maybe there'll be more nudges like, oh my gosh, there's a new Spider-Man shoes, or new Captain America shoes, or whatever, and that might be a little funny nod to Gus later on. So Gus goes to Jen's paralegal friend, and she's like, okay, we can do it, but you have to come with me and get Jen new clothes. So he goes, hits up his drip book broker guy, finds out that there is a superhero underground store where they sell superhero products for superheroes. Uh, so they go to this boba tea place, and Jen, there's this Asian-looking person at the front, and Jen t- talks to the person, and she's in Chinese, and he's like, I'm not Chinese. And she's like, oh my gosh, I feel horrible now. Which is really funny, because it was kind of, like, it was definitely a kind of social commentary, but it was also just pretty funny. Uh, so, they, so he, the guy brings them downstairs, and they find that they're also selling knockoff Avengers merch that they have to buy if they're going to meet this guy. So it's like, not Avengers shirts, but it's Avengers, or Avengers, or, like, stuff like that, and there's also weird, like, knockoff, like, uh, weird color-swapped Captain America shield and reverse Avengers hats, so it's, like, they can't really be sued, but it's, like, kind of copyright infringement. That's another question. Is Avengers copyrighted? We'll have to see. If any of you know, please comment on that, because I will definitely check that out. I'm interested in that. Um, so we also see that when they go down, they go and meet with Luke, and they show her, so they basically get a meeting with Luke. So Luke is, like, kind of like Edna from The Incredibles, but, like, a guy, and he's also, like, he's basically a copy-and-pasted character of Edna, but taller. So they go with, and later on in the episode, they meet with him, with She-Hulk, and he's like, okay, and he makes some outfits, and then she goes back and gets them, and in that scene... He picks up this thing and with its lid off, and he yells to his assistant, "Can't use is he, is client confidentiality anything to you?" And in the bin is Daredevil's helmet. When we know Daredevil is coming in one of the new episodes, and we know that it's coming as a new TV show, it's going to be called Daredevil: Born Again. It's going to have Charlie Cox as Daredevil and. Uh, Winston D'Onofrio's as the uh, uh, kingpin. I'm excited to see that. And we will get back on the Marvel page in a second. Now, on to Rings of Power! So, leading up to Rings of Power release, I was a little bit skeptical. People had been saying some stuff like, I don't think it's going to be good, Amazon's going to butcher it, they're going to change all this lore, and it's not going to be good, and it's not going to be faithful. But, as a Tolkien nerd myself, I thought it was spectacular, wildly exceeded all expectations, and it was amazing. And the first four episodes are currently out, and for the past three weeks I've been captivated every Friday by the episodes, and I'm so excited. So, the first episode was incredibly amazing. We see three storylines unfolding, two of which are in the Southlands, which we'll get to in a second, but the first storyline is with Galadriel. We see that she's continuing the fight of her brother, 
who after the War of the Wrath had gone to track down Sauron, who was Morgoth's chief advisor. He had been one of the uh, Maiar, so akin to a lot of the uh, monsters in Middle-earth, so some of the dragons and Gandalf, even. Gandalf, Sauron, Radagast, and the two blue wizards. So he becomes this dark power in Middle-earth, and her brother goes to track him down, but he dies, and Gladjell takes up this fight. So we see her originally in the first episode going through the northern waste, climbing the sheer cliff. Her men are dying. Like, this isn't an easy trip. So she's not taking it easy. She's trying to find Sauron. She's not going to let anyone get in the way. So they find this castle, this keep in the far north. And we find that Sauron had been here fairly recently in the past, like, 100 or so years. Which I know that doesn't sound fairly recently, but... In the eyes of elves, that is, like, just yesterday. Like, a hundred years passes like that. So, she is called back to Linden by Gilgalad, and her uh, party, her group, uh, kind of mutinies in the most elfish fashion. They just lay down their swords, and they're like, if you continue, you're going to continue alone. So, she was forced to go back to Linden. So, while she's in the Northern Waste, though, she finds a symbol that we oh, talk about in a second, but the symbol that we are originally led to believe is like the crest of Sauron, which I do think it is partly a crest of Sauron because it was also on her brother's corpse. But it, I think it, it does mean more than that. We learned that in the third episode. So I'll talk to you about that once we reach the third episode. So she's called back to Linden. And by Gilgalad the High King, and she meets with er, uh, with Elrond, uh, who convinces her to listen to what Gilgalad has to say. So they're basically honored with being able to go back to Valinor, because all of her people, the Noldar, had left Valinor and were told you can never come back if you leave, as I said in the last episode that I talked to you guys. And the... This is a huge honor. Her party is overjoyed, her group that is also being honored because they kind of helped end the war. And they, she's like, okay, I'll go. But she's very mad about this. She realizes that she will not be happy. So I think that is definitely a key part of Galadriel. She won't give up until what she wants is done. So she's definitely a very strong-willed character. And I think that's what we kind of come to expect throughout the series. And we'll definitely see that in full in later episodes. So we also, going to the Southlands, we meet the Harfoots, who are this sweet little group of pre-Hobbit Hobbits. So basically, there are three uh, races that become Hobbits eventually when they settle, settle down in the Shire. And they... Uh, one of them is the Harfoots. They're a nomadic tribe of uh, small humans, basically. And they are traveling around the Southlands from place to place. Uh, so I think what they do is for every season, they go and then they move to another location for each season. So I think between, well, winter and summer, kind of those two seasons, not like spring, fall, winter, summer, that would be a hassle. So they kind of travel around. And we see in this episode how they are very content with their life, but and how differently they view the world than the elves do. The elves kind of see themselves wafting along this river. They are traveling this river of life. Well, the Harfoots see it as they are in the river. They are part of the river. They're mere droplets in the river. And I think that is a definitely very important view that I think the main character in the uh, Harfoots storyline, uh, Nori, uh, is very into, like, not obeying the Harfoot idea of just drops in a river. And she actually kind of breaks the rules in the first time we see her. She brings all these little kids to this little, little patch, this old farm kind of thing that's all abandoned, but there's a warg there. It's like a type of wolf. We see them in The Hobbit. So they have to rush back to their encampment, 
and in uh, the later on in the episode, we see how this comet that we see in multiple different locations streaking by eventually crashes near their settlement, and Nori goes to investigate, and there's this man in the center. He's called the Stranger at this point, but we don't know his name. Uh, I will talk about who I think he is later on when we get to episode two, but he, in this episode, seems very powerful. So Nori goes, he's at the center of this burning crater. Nori goes and she tries to crawl to the center to get to him. And the fire is not hot, which is a part that is interesting to me. So it's not like burning fire, it's just kind of cool fire. And she reaches him and he causes all these rocks to levitate and all the fire sucks into him. And then it, and then he passes out and all it goes back to normal. So I think he's definitely going to be playing a bigger and bigger role but as the series progresses, and he does in the next three episodes, so I'm excited to see that. So, the other storyline happening in the Southlands, the elves are keeping watch over the Southlands' human population, because during the War of the Wrath, the humans here sided with Morgoth and Sauron uh, against the Valar, so the elves have been stationed in... The Southlands, there's this, like, elven fortress that they're watching over these people to make sure they're not doing anything bad and they're not stepping out of line and they're not fighting against the elves and of good in the Valar. So I think that is definitely very important because elves have a hugely long memory. So even though the War of the Wrath happened hundreds of years ago, it is still incredibly important to, to the elves to make sure that the descendants of these wrongdoers are taken care of. So it's very interesting how they have such long memories, but they're kind of punishing people that probably don't need to be punished and riling them up even more. It would be like if we'd still had places in Germany just watching the Germans and stuff after World War One and Two, which wouldn't be fair because they're a completely different country now. So I think that the, that the people in uh, the Southland could be good, and we do see that some of them are good, including Bronwyn, who's one of the two kind of main characters of this story, and I think that's going to be part of the story about how they are going to choose what their ancestors did not, at least some of them, and go with the Valar, and both the sides good, and so we see these two main characters, Bronwyn and Arendir, so Arendir, after getting the news that they're going to be, like, taken back to Linden because the war is over. Gilgalad has decided that they do not need to go fighting anymore and they do not need to be away from the city of the elves. So he goes and he's going to say goodbye to this one woman, uh, Bronwyn, who he kind of has a little bit of a crush on. And he says goodbye and as she's talking to him, this guy comes up and he's like, hey, Bronwyn, because she's the town healer, and he shows her her, his cow. He's a little suspicious because an elf's with her, but he uh, goes and uh, Arendir, the elf, squeezes the cow's udders and his black goop comes out, which, if you know anything about basic animal anatomy, that is not supposed to happen. So I think the corruption runs deep here, even in nature. And we see later in this episode that things are being corruption, even as far as corrupted, even as far as Linden, that things are going badly. So we also see that Theo gets this broken sword out of an old barn. He finds it with his, with, with his friend. And this sword has the marking of Sauron on it. And I think that it will definitely be important, and I'll talk about it in episode four, the episode four section of this uh, section of the video, or not video, episode. I'm not on YouTube. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I think that will definitely be important. Uh, it, it is important. The orcs do seem to be very interested in it, and I think that is important. So that is about all. But, well, wait, hold on. In episode one, at the very end, we see that Galadriel, just as she's entering the Grey Haven, which is the area between 
like the area where there's the fog that surrounds the basically transportation out off across the planet to Amon to the Elven or the Valar and Valinor. She jumps ship. She realizes that this isn't what, what she wants to do. And she attempts to swim back to Middle Earth. Which is utterly insane because the they are probably hundreds and hundreds of miles away. And in so in Valinor, that she has to swim across the Sundering Seas, which is this basically very dangerous ocean, back to Middle Earth. Which is kind of insane and kind of stupid on Gladio's part, but I suppose elves can, I guess, live forever, so they could just, she could just keep swimming, just keep swimming, just keep swimming, but even, like, Michael Phelps couldn't do that, I don't think. Um, anyway, then in episode two, we meet Calabrimbor, who is the Lord of Region. We also uh, know that he is Baylor's grandson, even though they are not allowed to say that in the, uh, TV show because they are only allowed to base it off of the epilogue of the Return of the King because in that they mention Calibrimbor but they never say hey Calibrimbor was Feanor's grandson they've also mentioned Feanor but Feanor was one of the great elven, elven smiths and he forged the Silmarils which caused which was one of the causes of the War of the Wrath and he was definitely the greatest elven smith, maybe smith in general of all time. So Caleb Rambor is probably the greatest smith of the Second Age. He actually will end up going on to uh, create the Rings of Power, at least most of them. So he is tricked by Sauron into forging the rings, or three rings for the elves. Um, and... He then goes in secret behind Sorn's back. Sorn is in a guise of another elf, like this beautiful elf. And he forges more rings. He forges like 14 more rings, I think it is. Uh, or no, uh, 16 more rings. So he, but then when Sorn realizes this, he goes and seals these rings. And he gives these rings. They're lesser rings, I think, than the elven rings. But I think... He's going to forge these rings in the tower that he's having uh, Elrond make. And so, the, or at least the three rings. And I think that's probably why he has a deadline for it. Because he's already under Sauron's influence. And so, he Sauron uses these rings. He gives seven to the dwarves. But because Onmo, who is the god of like the forge and the person who made the dwarves... Uh, made them to be uncorruptible. He couldn't control the dwarves through the rings. He couldn't bend them to his will. And the elves realized what it was quickly and hid the rings in their realms, which allowed the realms to be very prosperous and beautiful, but it would also make it so that they wouldn't become corrupted by Sauron. Um, and But then the only race that did get it, he gave nine to mortal men. Which I think Halbrand, who is introduced in this episode, may be one of them. Or the other possible person he could be is the king that fought in Return of the King, the Ghost King. So it could be that, him. But we'll, we will have to see. It would make sense because Halbrand would definitely owe uh, Isildur and Gondor, and the heir, heir of Gondor, that at least. Uh, so I think that would be kind of an interesting twist and kind of tie him into the story because we never actually give an actual name to him, at least not that Tolkien told us. So Celebrimbor, I think, is going to end up forging these rings in this thing that he's having Elrond have helped the dwarves construct. So Elrond is basically placed under the watch of Celebrimbor and Celebrimbor is having him uh, try and create this giant forge, right, in the middle of a region. So Calvinbor is the lord of Red John, it's the land of Elven Smiths. And I so I think this is going to be the forge that is used to rot the uh, rings of power. So the uh, dwarves actually end up helping them 
because Elrond has the brilliant idea to go and talk to his friend. Uh, uh, goes to talk to his friend Durin, and Durin is the second in line to the throne of Khazad-dûm, which we later see as Moria. And at this time in history, Khazad-dûm is still this beautiful, prosperous underground city, and I think that's going to be pretty important because it's there. A lot of uh, Elrond's story takes place there. So he gets there, and uh, Durin is pretty mad at him because the he has missed twenty years of their friendship. Uh, Durin got married, and he basically he's had two kids. He's they missed a whole life of time together. And so Durin, so Durin is understandably very mad at Elrond, and Elrond, but I don't think Elrond realizes that it's been 20 years. So he gets him to introduce him to his family to, like, apologize, and he eventually makes amends. They eventually make amends. And I think, so they get this agreement that the dwarves will help build this tower, this forge in exchange for something. I don't know what, they didn't really discuss that. But so the dwarves are basically helping this out. And I think that's going to be like definitely a helper that in the dwarves, because we know that the sign, the door outside of uh, Moria, outside of Khazad-dûm that we see in Lord of the Rings is carved of mithril, which we see in episode four and which I'll talk about once we get to episode four. So I think that's definitely going to be like Kelvinbor is going to help Forges and it's going to be a friendship because I think now that Durin, after episode four, is actually going to meet Calibrimbor, I think they are going to become good friends in some way or other. We also, in episode two, talk to Bronwyn and Arendir, who are going to Bronwyn's hometown to see what is going on. And they find that the whole town is burned to the ground. In one of the few remaining buildings there, they find a hole in the ground that goes deep into a tunnel. And Arendir goes to explore it. And Bronwyn rushes back to the town where she works as a healer. And she gets there. And when she gets there, she finds an orc. And they kill the orc and convince the town that, hey, these guys are here. we got to get to this elven stronghold. So I think that is definitely a big part of it. We also see that uh, we also see that Arendir is kidnapped while he's in the tunnel. He's captured, and we will see him again in the next episode in the Slave Pits. So we also see in this story in episode two, we see that now that Galadriel is still swimming, she uh, finds this boat, this raft of refugees, I think, from, and we find that one of them, at least Halbrand, is, he is from the Southlands, and she boards their ship, and they were originally distrustful of them, or at least of Gladrew, because she is an elf, and the Southland people do not like elves, if you remember, and she, but the, their boat is destroyed by a monster, because we know that the Sondering Sea is full of filled, at least, with monsters, and she realizes it just in time, and she saves herself from getting destroyed by a monster um, that actually destroyed the refugees' first ship. So she and uh, Halbrand escape, and they are sailing away, and there's a huge thunderstorm in the middle of the sea, they said the sea is very dangerous, full of monsters and storms. And Halbrand rescues her because they had tied themselves, or at least Gladiel did, to the mast of the ship so that if they, the strong winds picked up, they would not fall in. But the mast is hit by rain and a lightning bolt and gets hit into the water. And she's sinking, and Halbrand saves her. 
So I think that forges their trust and their that their relationship. And I think this will definitely be one of the other huge defining relationships between elves and man, because there's what happens ends up happening in episode three with Elendil, and that will definitely forge the elves into this kind of peacekeeping group instead of this warlike group that we see in the War of the Wrath, who instigate wars, the elves kind of end up becoming this peace group that kind of that fights in the wars, but they, they try and solve them first and warn of coming dangers. So we see that in the last scene of this episode that the uh, that there is a ship that comes near them, and we see Ellen Deal. In the end of this episode, we don't know who it is because it's just kind of a silhouette of someone looking down on them. But we later find out that it is Ellen Deal, and he is one of the people that will go on to be hugely important. And I will talk about him in just like five seconds if you give me a t- second to talk about the stranger. So the stranger we learn a little more about in this episode with Nori and her friends, and they are, uh, Nori is trying to take care of this, this guy who fell from the sky, literally, and he basically cannot speak, he doesn't know anything, and I think there's probably two possible scenarios of who this is. It's either Sauron, which I don't think, because Sauron is much more malicious than this, I don't think he would be so, like, if he was searching for something, if he had been shot out of the sky and he was searching for something, he would know where it is. He is way too cunning and knowledgeable. And I don't think he would go to a little group of Harfoots. And as far as we know, Soren can't see the future, so he wouldn't know that hobbits would eventually become hugely important. So I don't think that he would be that important. We also see that it goes all the way through the mist, uh, through the gray veil, which uh, Gladwell was about to go through in the last episode. We see this comet streak through the sky, and it passes over Middle-earth into Southland. So I think it's actually coming from Valinor. So I think it is Gandalf, as some people have theorized. But I think, I think the caveat is this isn't the last time Gandalf will come to Middle-earth before the War of the Rings, because I think that Gandalf is coming to check out what is happening, to make sure everything is safe, people are, and Middle-earth is okay, and so he's going there, he's going to check, and then he will go back to Middle, he'll go back to Valinor, and then when it is time, he'll be sent back. And I think that what, that's, this is what will develop his love for the halflings, and somewhat tendencies to put them in very dangerous situations but he has definitely a huge love for hard halflings and harfoots just like this character does and he also doesn't speak he can't speak and he doesn't really understand how to eat and he's very confused about everything and i think that would make sense because gandalf's full true presence is a kind of a spirit he's not really a physical being so if this is the first time he's in a physical being it would understandably confuse him, and he wouldn't know what to do. He doesn't know how to talk through a body. He doesn't know how to do any of these things. So he's really learning, relearning how to live. So I think that's going to be why I think it is Gandalf. So if you think it's anyone else, please, I'll put up a poll in the comments, and you guys can figure it out there. So in episode three, we meet more Ellen Neal. We also see Isildur, who's his son, and their completely made-up daughter, uh, Ellen Deal's made-up daughter, Arian. She's made up entirely for the show. I mean, technically, all these characters are made up, but Arian is for the show. She's not from Tolkien's writing. In the books, Ellen Deal has two sons, Isildur and another son that had gone to the west of, of Numenor that we have heard talked about. So... Isildur and Elendil will become hugely important. They go on, just before the sinking of of Numenor, they realize what's going on, and they take ships and they sail to Middle-earth. And they form Gondor and some other cities there, and including Minas Tirith, which we see in uh, The Return of the King. And they 
they go on to fight against Sauron in the first War of the Ring, and Elendil is killed, along with Gilgalad, and uh, Isildur goes to defend his father's body, and Sauron steps on Elendil's sword, and Isildur goes and he slices off El, uh, Sauron's finger, which destroys Sauron, well, at least for now, and he goes on to steal the ring, and then he brings it to Mount Doom. He's going to throw it in, but he's seduced by the ring, and he decides not to throw it in and to keep it for himself because he is in love, just like Bilbo and just like Frodo and just like uh, Gollum, but unlike Frodo, he does not have the strength to throw it into Mount Doom and destroy it. So he says, nope, and he leaves, and eventually he is ambushed and kills his little boogie, and he falls into a, a pond, and he loses the ring, and eventually this will, ring will be found by a certain Smeagol, well, Smeagol's friend, really, and then Smeagol will steal the ring, kill his friend for it, and run away. Then the ring will be stolen again by Bilbo Baggins and passed down to his nephew, Frodo. He will then throw it into Mount Doom, ending the War of the Ring. So that is how the ring kind of progressed. And as you can see, Elendil and Isildur are hugely important in that kind of progression. So I think that they're definitely going to be playing a bigger and bigger role. And now that they are going to Middle-earth for the first time, I think this is when, because we see in episode 4, Galadriel convinces them that they have to go to Middle-earth to help defend the Southlands and try and defeat Sauron. So they all go, and Isildur and Elendil both are going to defend the Queen and to start this war. So they go, and I think that's going to be huge for them. And I think that's going to be a fun little part of it. How Isildur and Elendil kind of start falling in love with Middle-earth again, and they will kind of become like, knowing what to do when the fall of Gondor actually happens. We also meet Tharazon in this episode. He's the chief advisor. He's cousin to Queen Miriam, and he will actually end up going on to usurp the throne from his cousin, and I think that will actually happen while she's away in Middle-earth. He will steal the throne, and then he goes on to actually capture Sauron, and then he gets Sauron twi- uh, becomes his chief advisor, actually. Sauron convinces him, and he kind of uses his conniving ways to seduce this guy, and Therizon ends up... Sauron gets him to sail to Numen, uh, to Valinor, uh, which causes the sinking of Numenor. So that is what ends up happening, and I think that is... Uh, or I don't think that's what ends up happening. That doesn't end up happening. I think he's definitely going to be a very evil character. So, we also learn more about the symbol in this episode, both about Halbrand's symbol and about the symbol found on the dead body and in the keep in the far north. This symbol is actually a map. It's a calling card, less of an actual sigil that Sauron puts on everything, really, dead bodies, altars, all sorts of stuff, to tell his minions meet here, this is where the contingency is going to happen. This contingency is like they will form a land of evil where evil can prosper and it will be led by Morgoth's uh, successor, which is Sauron. So they, that is what ends up convincing them that that they need to go. We also learned that Halbrand is one of the lost line of lost kings of, uh, of the Southlands, so I think that's another reason they get convinced to go because she can have him unite Southlands into one unified group to try and fight off Sauron, but that allows her to kind of convince Queen Miriam that they need to go. So, we also see in this episode that uh, the elves have been kidnapped, all of them. The ones from the Watchtower have been killed. And they actually stage a revolt in this. They're being kept in a slave pit by orcs. And they're digging, they're having them dig this trench. And they're covering the trench with like these tarps. Because the orcs cannot see sunlight. And let's hope that no one 
ever uh, makes orcs that uh, can survive in sunlight because that would be very bad. <clears throat> Saruman, Saruman. <clears throat> so I just had like something stuck in my throat. I think it sounded like Saruman. Right, that might, that's just my beanie. So I stage a revolt and they get killed. And I think this is uh, the last elf is Erendir. And the uh, the orcs say to bring him to Adar. So I th so we learn in the next episode that Adar is a corrupted elf from the same place in Middle Earth that Arian is, or that Arendir is, and Arendir is from this place in the northwest of Middle Earth that was sunk during the War of the Wrath. Uh, so that means Adar must be really old. I think he is one of the old elves that first came to Middle Earth. It was taken by Morgoth and corrupted. He's not as bad as some of the other ones, but he is definitely very evil, and he's been growing his old, his own uh, group of orcs. That's why they call him Adar, which means father in Quenya. So I think that is going to be very important because this he might be like one of the people that pioneer orc uh, creation, orc cloning. So I think that will be kind of important. He's completely made up for the show. But I think he will be definitely very fun character to kind of get to know. So basically, we also see that uh, the stranger is revealed to the group. And since uh, Nori's father had broken his leg, they're going to be, have to go at the back of the path. But the stranger actually ends up helping them. And because the stranger is revealed, Nori gets in trouble. But she's not banished from the group. So it is, it's, they're safe for now. Um, so yeah, that's it for episode three, mostly. So then in episode four, we learn how Queen Miriam, the real reason her father is being kept up in this high tower is because of his deteriorating health and that he had been like, he wanted to get the elves back and that's what caused uh, them to instate Queen Miriam, which because she was more less elf loving, but it turns out she's not that much elf uh, less elf loving because she ends up siding with uh, Galadriel and going to Middle Earth. So she also is being kind of convinced by Farazon, who I don't think is uh, quite in like control yet, but she uh, is definitely going to be maybe killed. Uh, I think. And then I think she might actually capture Sauron on this trip. They capture Sauron, bring him back. Farazhan gets seduced because he's now in control. And then the rest is history and underwater. So, yeah. So then we also cut back to um, Elrond and Durin. And Durin the Third, that is. And we learned that they're hiding Mithril, which I originally thought what they had in the box in episode two was one of the rings, one of the dwarven rings, but it's really mithril. So it's a, basically a very valuable substance. One of the rings is actually, one of the three elven rings is actually made out of. And Durin uh, makes Elrond swear not to tell anybody about it. But obviously something finds out because uh, Celebrimbor actually makes one of the rings out of it, obviously. And then he also creates a door out of it for... Uh, the dwarves to mark their friendship because a region is pretty close to Khazad-dûm. Uh, so, yeah, so that is, I think, something very important about Mithril. It's very valuable. It's what everyone wanted at the time. It was like it was like the gold, the silver of Lord of the Rings, so the Second Age, because it was lighter than steel, stronger than, or lighter than silk, stronger than steel. It was super powerful. And actually, Frodo gets and Bilbo get a chainmail made out of mithril. So they eventually learn how to forge it and make it into new mineral. Uh, so the dwarves originally lie about this, which is very unbecoming of them because they're very bad liars. Because Elrond is intel incredibly intelligent and can read lips from very, very far away. So you have to be careful uh, when lying to an elf. So, yeah, so the dwarves are definitely end up kind of making amends. And there's an explosion in the mine, actually, because so they originally hid it from Elrond, but Elrond discovered what's happening. So he was able to sneak down to the mine. And 
that he and Dur- Durin is like, what are you doing down here? And he reveals what happened, what he found out. And Durin like, is, uh, basically reveals every t- thing to him. And then there's this giant explosion in the mine and a lot of dwarves are trapped. So the king, Durin's uh, father, uh, is shuts everything down. So because of this, Elrond basically convinces him to, like, bring, like, make amends with his father to become friends with his father more because he wishes he had his father because his father was a very famous elf, the Mariner, and he sailed to Valinor to convince the Valar to fight against Sauron in the War of the Wrath, and that ended up, or not Sauron, Morgoth in the War of the Wrath, and that ended up saving Middle-earth. So the Valar were so thankful that they uh, go, they gave, they basically made him the, like the stars that brought the moon across the sky, so, which is a huge honor for him, but he never got to see his son, uh, Elrond, grow up into what he became. So that was definitely a very heartbreaking thing for Elrond to not have his father there with him. So that's about it for Elrond and uh, that. Uh, so they convince, uh, so Galadriel actually convinces the people of Numenor to come. But originally the people of Numenor were very angry. She, they were kind of like angry at the elves and they were being kind of stirred up for by Farazhan. And he's like, do you want them to take your jobs? Do you want, because they never sleep, they never eat. They don't need any of this stuff. So it's, they're, which is obviously a lie because they do need to sleep and they do need to eat and they do need all these things. They're not, it, they're not like needless. But they, they will, he definitely knows how to stir up a crowd, much like some certain politicians these days. Uh, so yeah, so that's about it for episode four. Uh, but there is actually one more thing I wanted to talk about. And that is that I think I know that something about Theo. Theo is the Bronwyn's uh, son. And I think he might actually be Erendir's son too. I think Bronwyn and Erendir uh might actually have had a son together and that might be Theo. Theo is currently using this sword that is one of Sauron's I think he gave to the Southlanders because of his loyalty and you have to stab yourself to form the sword. And the orcs are searching for it there that's why they're gonna storm the keep. And yeah, so that's I think that's gonna be kind of cool to learn. Uh like what this sword is and it's definitely very evil because the person whose bond it was we actually find out realized that Theo had stolen the sword and that he got basically who's like Theo you can't do that and basically told him about Arda or not Arda but about Sauron and all the evil stuff and he was like you should join it and like be ready and he He's definitely, definitely on Sauron's side and will definitely corrupt the people in that is hiding in the Elven Tower right now. So I think it's quite possible that Theo is Erendir and Bronwyn's son, but I think it's not, it, it will definitely be interesting because we've never seen his hair. He bears a certain resemblance to both of them and it, it, I wouldn't put it past them to have a kid. So I think that's about it. And now on to D23. So in D23 news, so a bunch of trailers have been uh, revealed, including Secret Invasion and Werewolf by Night. But there's a bunch that have not been revealed that there have been some details about it, but I'm going to wait till they are released online before I review them, including... Echo, Captain America, New World Order, which will include Isaiah Bradley and from Captain uh, Bucky, uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and the leader from uh, from Incredible Hulk. So he will he's like this brainiac character who has been infected by Hulk's gamma blood. We also see the Marvels. So if you remember at the end of Miss Marvel, the uh, she swapped with Carol Danvers. Basically, what happened is 
uh, Kamala swapped with, uh, with, so Carol Danvers swapped with uh, Kamala. Kamala swapped with Monica Rambeau, and Monica Rambeau swapped with Carol. So whoever, wherever everyone was, they are now at the other spot. So Mon uh, Kamala is kind of floating in space right now in a spacesuit, luckily, or else she'd just die, which would not be very fun. It would be kind of a mood killer, you know? So we also see, uh, we also heard news about Daredevil, Born Again, and in it, Kingpin will be back. We know that also he will appear in Echo. He was just shot in the eyes and blinded. He was not actually killed in Hawkeye. So in Ironheart, there will be the hood, which will be interesting to see uh, metal and machine go against magic. The hood basically got these demon guns and shoot stuff. We also finally got the lineup for Thunderbolts. So in the lineup for Thunderbolts, we have it's a very interesting team. You have three people from uh, Black Widow, and then two people from Falcon and Witch Soldier, and then two kind of interesting choices. So we have Valentina DeFontaine, who we see in both Black Widow and in Falcon and Witch Soldier. So technically, there's four from Black Widow. Um, she is kind of the leader of the group. She it will probably play what uh, Falc uh, what uh, Green Goblin played in the comics. In this group, she will kind of be the leader, kind of Nick Fury-esque. And we will also see Ghost on this team. She appeared in Ant-Man and the Wasp. And she can phase through stuff. And she will definitely be an interesting kind of wild card character, which I'm interested to see kind of more of. She was very interesting, and I liked her character. We also see Red Guardian and Yelena Belova, the father-daughter duo, which they will be fun together. We saw Yelena Belova in both Hawkeye and Black Widow, of course. So we will definitely have a lot of fun watching those two. We'll see Bucky and John Walker, which that is a very interesting duo. I do not, I did not expect them to do that because Bucky and John Walker will definitely clash a lot because they clashed on how to operate. Because Bucky is more on the side of good, and John Walker is more on the side of like patriotism and extreme patriotism. So that will be interesting because he killed people in that in Hawkeye and uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier. So I do not think he and Bucky will get along very well. We also see the Taskmaster from Black Widow, which I think you know, uh, Valentina probably recruited them all together. So that will be a fun lineup. So I do not know where Wong and Abomination were. I thought they were totally going to be on the team, but I think Wong is definitely too good, goody two shoes for them. And then Abomination, I think, is kind of do peace and like not getting into that right now. We also see Werewolf by Night, and in this, scrolls have taken the place of, uh, well, not, sorry, Secret Invasion and Werewolf by Night. In Secret Invasion, scrolls have taken the place of important uh, figures on Earth. I think it will be including, well, obviously, we know it's Nick, uh, Nick Fury. We know it is, uh, well, we, we know Nick Fury. That's about all we know. I'm thinking that Rhodey might be one. I'm thinking that some of Rhodey's guard might be one. I'm thinking maybe the president even, because we see a motorcade, the presidential motorcade kind of being shot at. And we also see um, some other characters who might turn out to be scrolls. And we see Talos in this. So Talos had been posing as Nick Fury for a long time. So I think Nick Fury had been off in space maybe ever since after... Uh, the Avengers movie. So I think that would be the first time he is. So he's in the Avengers movie. They fight. And then after the Avengers movie. Uh, they fight with Thanos. And then he goes out to seek help in the outer space. We also see Abigail Brand. Which in the comics. She ran S.W.O.R.D. Which is the place where I think. S.H.I.E.L.D. kind of evolved into its space. Kind of force. Where uh, Fury is currently operating through. And Uncle Brand is now back on Earth with Fury, kind of fighting scrolls. And there will definitely be a big war. I think Everett Ross is being dragged into this too. Maybe Everett Ross is a scroll. And I think there's going to be good scrolls and bad scrolls. We also see Werewolf by Night. We see Jack Russell and Elsa Bloodstone in that. And we, Jack Russell is Werewolf by Night. It's actually where we first saw Moon Knight, one of the Werewolf by Night 
comics. We also see Elsa Bloodstone, which is she's kind of a multi uh versatile monster hunter kind of character. Her father is Ulysses Bloodstone, who is like a caveman that got this magical stone that basically made them immortal. And then Elsa kind of got that stone and now she's kind of immortal too. So then he lost the stone and died. Who we actually see him in the trailer. Ulysses Bloodstone was like that mummy thing who said, I'll be rotting for you. So I think maybe some sort of TVA agency. We saw maybe Nightmare, which was mentioned. Nightmare agent like group. Because it has a very 1930s horror movie-esque kind of vibe to it. Where the... Uh, like the characters, it's all in black and white, and the characters are all kind of like scared, and there's a lot of screaming, and all those weird voices, like, You're gonna see this, darling, and stuff like that. And it's like really kind of cheesy, but I think it will be interesting. I think that's kind of nightmarish, which I'm interested to see. We also see Man Thing, which I'm the most, that's the thing I'm most excited about. Man Thing lives in the swamps of Florida, the Everglades, actually. He, um, was working on a serum that would help like stop cancer and stuff when he when his partner uh attacked him and they basically forced him to ride into a swamp and he injected himself with it to try and save his life and then he became man thing so he is enraged by fear and like burns if you touch him and you're afraid you will burn and he is definitely like a source for good and he defends this multiversal crossroads thing. So that should be a big part of it. So that's all from D23. And that's all for this week. So we'll see you guys next time on Generation Nerd. Nerd out.